We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, everybody, to Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com. Joining me shortly is Chris Biederman. He covers the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. The 49ers lost to the Packers 30-28 to on Sunday, their first loss of the season. They moved to 2-1. and one. Tons to unpack from that game, and we're going to get into that right now. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Let's play the blame game because you have to, in the present discourse around NFL football, there's one person at fault for every win and every loss. So who are you picking? Yeah, it's it's such a weird (laughs) phenomenon, right? Because a weird thing. I can tweet something after the game, like about Jimmy Garoppolo's ridiculous fumble. Uh and then point out that it led to a field goal and then point out that the 49ers lost by two points. Yeah. And then there will be an avalanche of Twitter responses that said, well, what about the defense? It's like, I'm, I'm not absolving the defense either. Right. You know, like everybody wants to say what's more to blame in a situation like this. Right. I think the offense and defense are both to blame. They did not play well on Sunday. <laughs> They didn't play well. There's There are a couple disturbing trends, particularly offensively. Defensively, the secondary is a big issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, like that, I, I think both things can be true. I think there are issues with the running game. I think there are questions about Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance. I think there are questions now that, that I think are fair about Kyle Shanahan and his willingness or unwillingness to trust young players potentially including Trey Lance mm-hmm. um, because now it feels like there's a trend there's so many guys that the 49ers need to play well who are in their first or second years of their careers and Kyle Shanahan just doesn't seem to have much trust in them which is weird because it feels different from 2019 um, so there's just a lot to unpack from that game and yeah I can't do just like 
oh, I blame I blame the offense more than the defense or the defense more than the offense because the, it was a it was a team it was a collective team loss, right? For the 49ers. and I think they had they have some issues. They're they're not a bad team. I still think they're a good team. They only lost by two points. It's not like they got blown out, and, um, but it's and- a game that was there for them to win, and they should have won. And uh, and I think, frankly, it was it was pr- a pretty disappointing performance, all things considered. Yeah, they they zooming out. If you just watch that game and not kept track of the score, you would have figured the 49ers lost by a significant margin. Right. And to your point, they wind up losing by two in an instance where there's what two other quarterbacks in the league that are probably moving their team 42 yards in 37 seconds. And then it sets up a 51 yard field goal. They had to spike it with two seconds left. Like they had, the Packers had to have a lot of things go right at the end. Right. And I I just, I think trying to pin it on, you know, Oh, the offense is slow start. Oh, the defense should have gotten a stop. It was a culmination of things. The 49ers never should have been down. Was it 17 to nothing? Yeah. They should have never been down 17 to nothing. Um, they probably should have gotten a stop at the end. Jimmy Garoppolo didn't play well enough. Their running backs didn't play well enough. The secondary didn't play well. Like, there are so many things that went wrong. And if you want a silver lining, they still could have and should have won. Right. Despite all that going wrong. So let's let's unpack this a little bit because, I mean... Like we just said, there's there's a million things to to discuss. Where I'm gonna I'm gonna put the onus on you, okay? Uh, to to start this, where should we where should we kind of begin as we peel this onion? So I, I think really, and I wrote about this uh, for the Sacramento Beat. Good that I think the most concerning issue for me was whatever's happening with the running game. And, and I think there's a direct correlation between the issues that they're having with the running game and the slow starts with the offense offensively. Like the Packers outgained the 49ers 134 to 25 after each team had two possessions, right? Jeez. And the 49ers only had one first down. And their first four possessions went punt, punt, interception, punt. In a game, you lose by two, right? So I, I think the running game, and we'll talk about the defense, but the, the thing that really stands out to me about where the 49ers are struggling right now is the running game because that's their identity, right? We, I went into the game not super concerned about their depth issues at running back and all the injuries because as we've gotten to know this version of the 49ers under Kyle Shanahan, they've been able to run the ball on just about anybody. Mm-hmm. And Bobby Turner, their running backs coach, and Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel are, have always been excellent at identifying running backs and getting an efficient running game, a good enough running game, out of just about anybody, right? And so they can't do that right now. And it's a second straight game to where they've gotten completely dominated by opposing defenses. Last week it was Philadelphia. This week it's Green Bay. And the Niners' offense just needs to be better. And so it raises a a few different questions. The running game specifically, you shouldn't feel like you don't have a trustworthy option around the goal line if a running back that you just drafted in the third round is not on the field, right? Like you can't, the the 49ers at the end of the second quarter, and I get there there was a little bit of a time crunch, but like they were inside the 10-yard line on all those plays without even having a halfback on the field. 
they were running shotgun and had Kyle Juszczyk back there, which I understand that that can make sense, but I've, I just don't remember ever seeing a Kyle Shanahan offense not have a halfback in that situation and not even having the threat of running the ball at, at near the goal line. Right. With like a quarterback that isn't very mobile. Right. <laughs> it just, it was a weird, weird sequence of plays. Yeah. And, and so the Sermon thing, look, Trey Sermon didn't look great. And I think it's, it's fair to say that, um, you know, maybe things have happened behind the scenes or at least at practice that has Kyle Shanahan not feeling particularly great about Trey Sermon. He had negative one yards on a, on three carries in the first half, though. Mm-hmm. Right. And then he got going a little bit in the second half, but he just wasn't getting any looks like George Kittle went into halftime with nine yards rushing and was their leading rusher. He had one carry. Right. So they're like doing all of these weird like Debo Samuel handoffs bubble screen, George Kittle handoffs, getting Kyle Juszczyk involved in the running game. Like, I get you want to be creative and you don't really love your running back, but like feed Trey Sermon and just get him in some sort of rhythm. Right. Right. Because you're not empowering your rookie and you're not developing your rookie if it's very clear in front of everybody when he should be the guy playing, the guy you traded up to to draft in the third round who a lot of people liked. Mm-hmm to just run all these weird gadget plays where you're getting too cute. None of it's really working. Yeah. So to me, I mean, the 49ers offense, everything they do is predicated off the running game, right? Play action is a huge part of their success. That has a lot to do with the effectiveness of the running game. And they just really struggle to get any sort of offensive rhythm if they can't run the ball. So I, I think that's a significant issue. And, and, you know, they ran the ball a little bit better, but, the formula isn't great for, for them. If, if you have Jimmy Garoppolo throwing 40 times, yeah. right? this is, it was a, it was just the fourth time Jimmy Garoppolo has thrown 40 passes since coming the 49ers. So it was, it it's uh, that part of it is alarming to me. And maybe it, it smooths itself out with Elijah Mitchell coming back. Maybe it's just, you know, the it's early in the season and, and you're getting defended differently and there are adjustments you need to make. But to me, that's really alarming because you would think in year five of Kyle Shanahan that the strength of the team would remain the strength of the team. Yeah. And right now the running game is not the strength of the team. And given that it's been its identity since he's been here, it's, it's raising my eyebrows a little bit. They're lacking speed. Yeah. That's what, that's the discernible difference with Raheem Mostert out with Elijah Mitchell out with, you know, Matt Breida gone um, even Tevin Coleman to an extent. Uh, prior prior to last season, they always had that back. Even if it wasn't Raheem Mostert, they could get to the edge and threaten teams on the edge. And Trey Sermon is not that running back. And I don't think anybody thought he was going to be. When they drafted him, it was, oh, this is a great compliment to to Raheem Mostert because he can he's going to be more between the tackles guy. And he's built like Debo Samuel. He's going to be a tough runner. He's going to get those tough yards. And now he's their only back. And he's not the guy who's going to get to the edge. That's why you saw the the you know the handoff to George Kittle around the edge, and they tried it with Debo a couple of times. I think Brandon Ayuk got a carry. Uh, Kyle Juszczyk had a career high five carries. Like they're just trying to figure out the running game because they don't have anybody that can execute that outside zone. And, and yeah, it makes me wonder a little bit. Like Trey Sermon had ten carries. Non running backs had eleven carries. If you don't count Kyle Juszczyk as a running back, right. And that accounted for the Trenton Cannon can't get one look 
on a stretch yeah. run. Like just, I mean, he had a great kickoff return. He can move. Like yeah, Jaquez Patrick and Carryon Johnson didn't even play. Yeah, like just the lack of of I don't want to say creativity because I get Carryon Johnson has you know not been here long. Jaquez Patrick has been here even less long. Shorter, yeah, less shorter has been here for less of an amount of time. <laughs> um, but Trent Cannon's been here a couple of weeks. Like he can't he can't do that. Like that was. It was it was really really interesting that that's what they resorted to in in lieu of having an effective group of running backs, which is not something I ever thought we would be saying about the 49ers, just given their success with undrafted guys over the last three or four years. Yeah, and, and the sermon thing, like it's I think it's fair to ask the question, like after he's inactive during week one, only gets one carry week two, and now it's like. He got one carry, went backwards, he dropped a pass, and then it's like it seemed like Kyle Shannon was like, I'm not going back to that well yeah. until the second half. And it's like, so did you miss on the draft pick then? Did you just like draft the the, the earliest running back you've taken since you've been here? And did you just completely whiff? Yeah. Because that's sort of what it feels like. And, and Kyle Shannon is not exuding a whole lot of confidence in Trey Sermon. Not that he necessarily should, but like do a little bit more to get him going because you need the running game to go right. Like you need the running game to be the foundation of your offense because it sets everything else up. And like, you know, I just I have the same questions about like Brandon Ayuk, right? Um, Aaron Banks inactive uh, all season so far. First three games. Um, Jalen Hurd obviously has been a zero. And there were injury concerns with him coming out of college, right? Mm-hmm. Like there are just it, there's enough uh, enough of a sample size with young players to be like something might be amiss somewhere, either in the talent evaluation aspect of it with the front office, or there's a disconnect with the coaching staff, or for whatever reason they're just not able to develop these guys in a way that they need to be. Um, and health obviously has a lot to do with it, but it just you know, his the distrust that he's showing with young players just seems like it's in stark contrast to what we've seen from Kyle Shanahan before, because Kendrick Bourne played a lot when he was young. Mm-hmm. Trent Taylor played a lot in his rookie year. George um, Kittle, Matt, George Kittle, Matt Breida, like these guys all got run. And as much as the team was struggling throughout those, like the, that run benefited them and helped them develop. Right. And right now it's like Kyle Shanahan feels like or at least it seems like if, if you're not going to play at a super high level right now, I can't even put you on the field. And it's like, it, it's, it's limiting what they can do from a schematic standpoint, because now they're trying to manufacture some sort of running game with your receivers and your tight ends and your fullback. And you're not developing anybody, you know? And like, and, if and, that's... and I think the conversation also, the same thing could be said about Trey Lance and the fact that, you know, you go into the season, pro- not promising, but saying, Oh yeah, we're going to, you know, we, we're going to use Trey Lance situationally and it's going to be a two quarterbacks thing and all that. Like Trey Lance has gotten, you know, we got seven hand, snaps, seven snaps total this season. And one of them was a snap to Kyle Juszczyk. Right. And so are you seeing enough from your offense that's been flat out dominated by opposing defenses the last two weeks in the first quarter of these games to where you're like, yeah, I, there's no way I could play Trey Lance right now. Right. You can play so, him down look, by the goal line, but you can't, but you can't play, you you can't give him a different, you know, give the offense a shot in the arm and give opposing defenses something else to think about. 
because I think everybody in the league now knows what Jimmy Garoppolo is and what his skill set is and what his strengths and weaknesses are. And I don't find that Jimmy Garoppolo is particularly tough to defend right now, although he was good in that final drive and made some big time throws. But like, but he also what, had what a, kind he, of, what does that say about a player that they aren't effective until it's like, Oh crap down six with two thirty nine left. Gotta, gotta go. Well, he also threw a handful of interceptable passes too. Yes. And his fumble, like his fumble, I don't don't think he knew the rule. It was the worst play he's ever made. Yeah, I think that's fair. You made that point last night while we were talking in the press box or in the the ride home. Um, Yeah, but that wasn't on the pod. I needed to get that take out into the ether. It wasn't on the pod. It was just the, the, of all the head scratching Jimmy Garoppolo, like, man, what? plays that was the most man what of all of them because i think the most egregious part was that he thought it was an incomplete pass which is just a sign that he doesn't know the rule and he said it after the game it was like yeah it was an unfortunate call by the ref to call it a fumble it was like a backwards pass is not an incompletion it's a fumble i'm wondering if he had straight down i'm wondering if he didn't see it and maybe (laughs) i'm trying to bail him out here and assume that he knows the rule I'm going to assume that he knows the rule and had just gotten like, because he kind of weirdly got spun around on that play and maybe the ball, the trajectory of the throw didn't go where he thought it did because it clearly threw it just like <laughs> threw it backwards. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what I'm, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt on that one for now. That makes one of us. <laughs> um, no, I, I, you, you said a lot there. I want to put a pin in the Trey Lance thing for a quick second. Sure. And talk about, we, we discussed it after week one with the cornerback depth sure. and what they could have done in the draft to address that. When you, me, every other 49ers podcast and pontificator and fan was like, man, they need some help in the secondary. Yeah. And they forewent that in the first round, obviously for Trey Lance. Okay. That makes sense. But then to skip it in round two for an offensive lineman, that's been a healthy scratch the first two weeks is an egregious swing and miss. And maybe Aaron Banks is going to be really good, but that's not a help this year. And Daniel Brunskill is, and I know he's a tough player to beat out, but he's given up seven pressures in three weeks. Like he hasn't been particularly good. And then you mentioned Trey Sermon. You trade two fourth round picks to move up and get a running back, that's great, but it's a running back that may not even fit the system right. that can't be relied on. And if you're trading two picks in the modern NFL, if you're trading two fourth-round picks to get into the third round to draft a running back with this other huge list of needs, that player needs to be a star. Yeah. And Trey Sermon went for 31 yards on 10 carries and didn't look particularly great. And to, to your point, I think he probably could have gotten some more opportunities. I'm not writing Trey Sermon off, but right now that's what we have. That's the sample size we have. And it's not great. And then Ambry Thomas didn't play football last year and clearly has a lot of rust to knock off. And yeah. to, to, to your point about not playing young players, it's like if the plan was to not play any of these rookies, if that was the plan the whole time, then they did a poor job of building a good team. 
Yeah. If their if their goal was like, hey, we're going to play as few young guys as possible because the veterans they brought in were not enough. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. And you know, we can make the case like they traded back five spots. They're at forty three. Um, you know, they traded that. I, I believe it was with the Raiders who ended up pick, picking uh, Trevon Morig, a safety. Yeah. Um who I think is playing pretty well for them. The 49ers didn't need a safety, but Kelvin Joseph went next to Dallas, a really talented cornerback out of Kentucky. And then Asante Samuel Jr., who has two interceptions so far and is starting with the Chargers and playing at a pretty high level, went 47, the pick before the 49ers ended up with Aaron Banks. And by the way, they moved back in round two so they could get the extra picks to move up for Trey Sermon. Right. So just that whole sequence, if you look at it right now and to your point, like, you know, people are tweeting me like, oh, it's easy to it's easy with hindsight to say they should have drafted Asante Samuel. It was like, no, like, you yeah, that was it. about it. Everybody was talking about how they needed a cornerback and yeah. everybody, all the draft experts and people you talk to in the league. It was basically a consensus. Like if you don't get a corner in in by round two at the latest, like you're going to have a really hard time finding a starter. Yeah. And now the 49ers, because they didn't, because Ambry Thomas isn't ready yet. They're playing a fifth round rookie, uh, Diamador Lenore, who's fine. Who's played well, but who's taking some lumps and, Mm -hmm. you know, didn't get deep enough on his coverage on the um, Valdez Scantling touchdown and got burned for the pass interference penalty. And like, it's not that he was a bad pick, but it's like, you do not want to be relying on a fifth round pick to be one of your most important players in your secondary right now. Right. And you want that, that, that that's, that's about passing on the guys in round two. That's about relying on Jason Verrett to be your number one corner. Um, so it's just like, these are, these are all issues now. Like it's not hindsight to say they didn't invest enough in cornerback. Cause we were saying it throughout the off season. And to your point about Diamondor Lenore, because I don't want this to be shots at him. He's played well, thrust into a spot that's like impossible. Yeah, he's a rookie fifth round guy. For the 49ers, if you're starting a fifth round pick, it needs to be because it's like, oh, wow, this guy is amazing. Not because, oh, the third round pick is not even playable. He's not even suiting up on game days and they don't have anything else. Like that's, that's where it becomes an issue. Not a knock on, on Lenore at all. Um, So Trey Lance is the next uh, step to this conversation. He played three snaps against green Bay. Um, The first one. So I want to take one out so we don't have to talk about it anymore. He lined up in a shotgun on a, I think third and one. And Kyle Juszczyk went in motion, went under center, took a snap and did a quarterback sneak for a first time. But the first Trey Lance snap was with two seconds left in the first half on a third and goal at the one. And he took the snap and got a great block from Trent Williams he got to, two good blocks. to get the corner. Was it Russ Dwelly, the other one? No, Alex Mack. Alex Mack got the other one. Yeah. So he got two good blocks on the outside. The one from Trent Williams just stuck out because he just shoved a grown human like 10 yards out of the back of the end zone. Just kicked him out the club. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and Lance scored on that play. And then the other one was a play action boot where um, he, they drew a defensive holding because uh, the defender got, got fooled in the back of the end zone. Yeah. Um, two things. One, I want to specifically highlight the fact that Kyle Shanahan like went on tilt at the end of the first half. 
And that Trey Lance play to me was the ultimate, like you're getting your ass whooped in Madden. And so you're just going to try this thing. And if it works, then you're in it. And if not, well, you tried. Right. And I thought it was really, really interesting that in that spot, that was the biggest snap of the season to that point. And because if they, if they don't get in there, the Packers go into halftime up 17, nothing and having just gotten a goal line stand where they got like nine stops inside the 10. Right. Like that's disaster. And <laughs> you have, you have everybody going, why did Shanahan go to Trey Lance there? They should have just lined it up and ran it up the middle. Right. And I thought it was really interesting that that was the move in that spot with two seconds left in the half down 17, nothing. I would love to get Kyle Shanahan on truth serum and just ask him like, what is Trey Lance not doing that makes you not feel comfortable enough to play him? Because it was always sort of my assumption. And I think, you know, this was, this, this is clearly wrong at this point that Kyle Shanahan has been itching to get, to have any excuse get to get Trey Lance in, right? Like that was my impression throughout, like during training camp, it was like, all right, well, Jimmy's clearly more ready now, but Shanahan will be pretty aggressive when it comes to potentially making that move or inserting Trey Lance. And, you know, I thought the Raiders game, the Raiders preseason game sort of confirmed that like, oh, like Trey Lance might play like 15, 20 snaps a game mm-hmm. and it might really like radically change what they do offensively. And they might have like two legitimate offenses that they run during a game, like for depending on who's a quarterback. Right. And they just haven't done that. And and I think the thing that's concerning to me on top of the running game is like, is Jimmy Garoppolo really playing that well to where like it's keeping Trey Lance on the sideline? Or is Kyle Shanahan just really lacking confidence in Trey Lance based on what he sees at practice? Because either one of those things is kind of problematic at this point. I agree. And I was of the mind in the Eagles game that putting Trey Lance in would not have been a great idea. And I think I was theorizing, I can't remember if I sent this in the chat during, during the game or not, but I was theorizing that Shanahan didn't want Lance to look like a like desperation move. I don't think he wanted it to look like this isn't working. We're putting in the rookie to see what happens. And that's a little bit what happened the last play of the first half. So I was of the mind that you don't put him in, in the Eagles game because the Niners had nothing going offensively. They got, they got the touchdown at the end of the first half and they kind of controlled the game for the most part, but against green Bay, a defense that, you know, can be exploited on the edges when you don't have the running backs to, effectively impact those edges and they're sitting on the Debo Samuel jet sweep a Campbell I think is a Packers linebacker made a really nice read on one of those to drop him for for a gain of one um you know you can only go to the George Kittle jet motion well once I think um get Lance in the game to at least try it because yeah. he got to the edge on the on the touchdown run yeah and I get I get the the notion of you know okay well they're not running the ball effectively anyway so why would you put him in to try and run it's like because it's a different kind of run it's a different look 
and it opens other things up. Now the Debo Samuel jet motion, you can fake it and you get Lance going the other direction. And now the defense is scrambling, trying to figure out what they're doing. It felt like a prime opportunity last night with the offense scuffling to put Lance in for, I'm not even, I'm not even in the stardom camp. Right. He had three snaps. Can he get eight? Right. 10? Like just, just some amount that allows, and it's not even about him being the quarterback. It's an offensive weapon in a scenario where Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback, had a career high in touches. I, like, yeah. Get another weapon on the field. Try something. I, I think I would much rather see Trey Lance on the field running zone read stuff and forcing guys to, you know, make forcing unblocked offensive ends to make decisions mm-hmm. and potentially get somebody going in rhythm then trying this running game where Kyle Juszczyk's getting a bunch of carries and you're giving Debo Samuel more run out of the backfield and all that stuff. You know, like I, to me, like that's why you have Trey Lance. That's why, that's why you sort of went with this whole approach to begin with. Exactly. And to abandon it or, or at least not feel comfortable using it in a situation like that, when your offense is struggling now for the second week in a row, that just doesn't really make sense to me. So. And if he's, I understand he hasn't played a lot of football. But if he at this point is not good enough to play eight snaps in a game, they have a whole other problem. Yeah. They have a much they have a much greater problem ahead of them. Yeah, potentially. For sure. But yeah, so I I, I mean, as you know, and like I'm sure a lot of people listening know, like I've I've been in the camp of just start Trey Lancer at the beginning. Right. And for me, I think he's dynamic enough to where he can make a lot of big plays and elevate the ceiling of the offense and do just so many different types of things than Jimmy Garoppolo can do that you can live with the lumps, right? Like what, what was Aaron Rodgers so good at last night on Sunday night? It was throwing deep passes downfield, Mm -hmm. right? It was taking shots and like Jimmy Garoppolo does not do that. We saw when he did do it, he threw an interception. That was a great play by Jair Jair Alexander. I'm not, I'm not faulting that. I think, a lot of Garoppolo's incompletions were a lot worse than those than that interception. Um, But the point point stands, like if you have good receivers, which I think the 49ers do and George Kittle, if you have a big armed quarterback, who's pretty good at throwing the deep pass. And I think we saw it in training camp and we saw it to a certain extent in the preseason, like Trey Lance can do that. Right. So even if your offense has training wheels on it, just in terms of how complex you are schematically, you still have that big playability and you have referees in the NFL who are dying to call pass interference anytime they see contact. Right. Jeez. Yeah. And you have the elements of the running game. And so when the offense stagnates and it's, and it's happening in the beginning of games, like this is what you scheme for. Like everything that happens in the beginning of the game is all the stuff that you practice during the week and mm-hmm. everything in the second half is all about adjustments and things like that. It's like, it's a little bit alarming for, somebody as good as Kyle Shanahan who in terms of being um, you know, considered one of the best offensive coordinators in the Mm -hmm. league and play callers and offensive designers and all that stuff to like be running into these issues against defenses early in games. You know, it doesn't make any sense. And you, and maybe you can trace it. It's just all about personnel and the Niners don't have the personnel, but that's another issue, right? Yeah, and that's about that's about acquiring the guys you need to run your offense. So it's one of the two or a combination of both. 
and it's not it, it's not a good development and I, and I know like look we get pushed back for being negative on this pod but like I think after the Eagles game a lot of red flags sort of came up and I think they were reinforced in this Packers game and that's why we're sort of concerned because like now okay there's a clear delineation between potentially the Buccaneers and the Rams and maybe the Packers and the 49ers in terms of the hierarchy of the NFC. I agree. Right. And we frame just about all of our conversations about the 49ers. Like they're a real NFC contender, which they should be, which they should be. And the reason why we're negative is because that's the bar. And these are issues that are going to prevent them from reaching that bar because their, their goal is to win the Super Bowl. And right. so these are things you need to correct if you're going to win a Super Bowl. You can't, it's not like, you know, winning 10, going 10 and seven and being a wild card team isn't good enough for this team based on what their expectations are and how much money they've invested in the roster and giving Kyle Shanahan a big raise. Like that's the expectation. And that's why I think we're, we're critical um, of where they're at right now. Yeah, because the way they've played the last two weeks, especially offensively, is not going to win them a Super Bowl. It's just, it's, it's not, I, I tweeted this last night and it's very, very telling. I think they're averaging fewer yards per play the last two games than the Adam Gase, Sam Darnold jets did last year. That's where their offense is at right now. That's, that's what they're dealing with. And if not for a Trenton cannon, big kick return, they probably go into the half down 17 to nothing. And who knows how the game goes from there. Um, they, they had, if it, if they had so many things go wrong the last two games and so few things go right, that it, it, it makes you wonder any success they've had. It's like, how sustainable is it? Right. And what, what is going to get better? They need they they need Jimmy Garoppolo to play better. The, the the quarterback position is just too important to have a player that inconsistent. And I know there are plenty of good plays that you can point to. You mentioned the last drive, especially he threw a couple of dimes on that drive and was really good. But there are too many head scratching bad throws in between that you just don't see from the other top tier quarterbacks and if he was a quarterback that consist that could consistently connect i'm not even talking 50 yard bombs but can you get it 20 25 yards down the field and not allow defenders to just sit on those little crossing routes that iuke and samuel ran all night like they they run eight yards and then sit underneath the zone and that's why you saw so many balls where iuke or or samuel were were getting crunched right as they were catching it because it's easy to sit on And so we can point to the run game. We can talk about, I don't think weaponry is a problem. I don't think their personnel is a problem. I think this is the best offensive line and the best group of skill players that Garoppolo's had. I agree. I agree. And if they got, and that's why Trey Lance comes up because it's like, you look at this on paper and it's like, what, what's not working. And maybe if Raheem Mostert was in there, it would all be different. And I think it would be a little bit different just because their offense is so is so much better when he's in. But they don't have Raheem Mostert. So now what do they do? It's, cl- it's clear the last two weeks that Jimmy Garoppolo is not consistently effective enough 
to like you said, justify, oh, he takes all of the snaps, save for two or three in, you know, special situations. Like yeah. I think even if it doesn't even have to be permanent, like just try and get something going offensively, something to feel good about, and not this, you know, win over the Eagles where it's like, oh, they had to scratch and claw, and then this win over the Packers where it's like, what in the hell happened in the first half? Right. You know, just it it's um it's reached a point where it's two consecutive weeks of the offense not being good enough to win a Super Bowl. And that's where you start trying to figure out a solution. And it feels like a solution, even if he's not starting, is standing there in the number five jersey. Yeah. And I have a rhetorical question too, right? Like, oh, I'm going to answer it. Okay. (laughs) Would you at all be happy with paying a quarterback $26 million a year if he's only effective when the running game's going? No, and that's the whole point. Right. Like that's that's the whole point. Like if you're paying a quarterback, that guy needs to be able to elevate your offense. Here's the other thing. Just on that. Shanahan has mentioned that there are quarterbacks that you can win with. Kirk Cousins comes to mind. Jimmy Garoppolo, I think is in that camp. Those are quarterbacks you can win with. And then there's quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes who you will win with. And for Garoppolo in the you can win with him thing, we talked about this a lot in 2019. A lot of things need to go right. And right now, the way their defense looks, it's like, okay, it might be okay. It might be fine. But I don't think their defense is going to be as good as it was in 2019. That was a tall ask to begin with. And now with their cornerback situation, their linebacking core is beat up. Their defensive line only had one sack last night somehow. Uh, against the beat up Packers offensive line, defensive line, offensive line, their defensive line, yeah, beat up Packers offensive line. It's like, all right, their offense now needs to be better. Yeah. However far their defense fell off, their offense needs to climb. And do you feel comfortable? Do you listener feel comfortable handing the keys to Jimmy Garoppolo and saying, okay, fine. He's going to make the offense better. There's another level for him to get to. Yeah. I don't see it. He looks too much like he did in 2019 to think, oh, wait, hang on. There's another level here. He's just kind of, he hasn't hit the ceiling yet. No, I think he's hit his ceiling. And I think if they had a top three defense, they would be a Super Bowl contender, but they don't. They have a middling right. defense. If, and if you're going to have a middling offense, you're, you're going to be a middling team. Right. And I think we can put a bow on it with this. Like, if Kyle Shanahan really was confident that Jimmy Garoppolo would go to this different level, um, that would dramatically change how we view him and like take that step from like quarter, like game manager, whatever, to like we're winning games because of this guy and he's elevating everything we do. Kyle Shanahan wouldn't have traded all those picks for Trey Lance. Thank you. Right? I know they pushed the injury thing, but no, that, w- that was the talking point because Jimmy Garoppolo, they, they're trying, like, they don't, they're not going to publicly destroy his trade value. But it wasn't just about the injuries. It was never just about that. So now you're getting to the point where it's like, all right, Garoppolo's limitations are what they are. What's Kyle Shanahan's tolerance for it going to be? Because the offense has frankly looked abysmal. And if you're paying Jimmy Garoppolo, you should be able to overcome the inability to run the ball. Right. So I think we're in agreement on that. And and we'll see. Like, we'll talk about it as this week goes on with, with the Seahawks coming. And what I would imagine, like, Trey Lance's role is going to is going to expand and if it doesn't I think you're going to start hearing a lot of questions yeah about what the hell is going on yeah 
it'd be cool to ask him. Um, let's yeah. let's discuss the defense just for a minute here, and then yeah. I also want to talk about clock management at the end of the game because that was a big talking point. Yeah. On uh, on the Monday after, was the pass rush or the secondary a bigger problem for you? The secondary because Aaron Rodgers was just getting the ball out so quickly. Yeah. Right. And, and I'm not sure how much of it is schematics or if it's just personnel. I, I tend to think it's personnel. What, what was really problematic was that, you know, Devonte Adams is, is the guy, right? Like, you know, he's the guy that Aaron Rodgers is going to find in Make these key moments. And it just wasn't, it, it, the coverage was way too soft. Like the, the first one Aaron Rodgers make the, uh, I'm talking about the first throw of the last possession. Aaron Rodgers makes an unreal throw just over Fred Warner, layers it between the safeties and finds Adams, gets to midfield. Great throw. Incredible quarterbacks make incredible throws. But the second one, Lenore, like Adams makes the catch at the exact distance he needs to get to to get into field goal range. And Diamador Lenore is five yards away from him. And I get you don't want to get beat, but like if you're so concerned about getting beat that you're yielding that catch and making it so easy, like you're just not good enough, right? Like you need to be good enough to, to, to cover right. these types of receivers in the NFL. If you're a Super Bowl contender to say, I'm good enough to not get beat, but while also being good enough to play sticky on you and stay in phase and not just allow a cheap, easy 17-yard completion to get in the field goal range. Yeah. And again, right, not like, a knock on Lenore. It's a knock on the 49ers' depth at the position. Yeah. He's their best option, yeah. and that's the way he had to play that. And, that and, and I mean, that's, frankly, what happened with Devontae Adams is exactly what I would expect of the secondary in the state that it's in, or at least yeah. the cornerback. Totally. Right? Because we saw even in 2019 when the defense was great, in the game that they didn't have Richard Sherman and they didn't have Kwan Williams, who also left the game on Sunday night, Julio Jones went off. And it was the reason why the Falcons ended up pulling off that upset. Yep. Right. So like, it's just that to me, like what's happening at cornerbacks falls squarely on the front office. And, and I think it, it sort of leads to another discussion, particularly with how Sunday night went because Kyle Shanahan has made it clear which is one of the more interesting things philosophically in terms of building a defense that he prioritizes pass rush over coverage in the secondary. And, you know, there's an analytics community that believes coverage is more important than pass rush. I go back and forth on it. I tend to think pass rush is more important, but there are games like Sunday night where you're playing a, one of the best quarterbacks to ever play against potentially a hall of fame who's throwing to a, hall of fame receiver potentially and he's just going to get the ball out quickly and your pass rush is going to be negated just through schematics and how quickly rogers can get the ball out of his hands and then you do need to rely on your secondary right right so that's that's part of it that you know it like you can question kyle shanahan's philosophy when it comes to building a defense as an offensive guy he will say i would much rather go against a bad pass rush and good secondary than a good pass rush and a bad secondary. Sure. Right. So that's, but and I'm not saying I necessarily disagree with them, but this is the counter argument to Shanahan's philosophy 
and you wonder, given the trends of the NFL, can can you win that way? You, but that's that's the issue, I think, is they want to be built front to back. They want to have this great pass rush. You still need to have a, an average secondary. You can't just yeah. have a shitty secondary and say, hey, this is this is fine. The pass rush is really good. Like, no, because of what you just said. The 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 long completion, and it was on K1 Williams, the one to Alan Lazard, the 43 yarder on the first drive. Yeah. Rogers got to the top of his drop and just let it rip because Lazard had four yards of separation. Yeah. Just off the line. And that's the kind of thing. And again, not to pick out K1 Williams, the entire cornerback group had a problem with it on Sunday. But if that's if that's how it's going to be, if he's going to get to the top of his drop and he's going to have receivers with multiple yards of separation. That's you can't have a bad secondary. A great pass rush isn't going to make up for bad cornerback play, right? But it's going to make good cornerback play look great. Yeah. It can't make bad cornerback play look good, right? And that's what it feels like the 49ers have, have done is they've invested all these resources in the defensive line, which is fine, but you have to invest something in the secondary. Yeah. You can't throw a third third round pick and a fifth round pick at this situation and go, yeah, all right, if if Jason Verrett and Emmanuel Mosley aren't available, here's what we got. Yeah. Because it's not going to be good enough, and it wasn't. Yeah, and the spots for me, like, the you know, Dante Johnson, respectable vet, been with the team for a long time, good dude from everything I understand, like a professional, but like that spot should probably be a second round draft pick. Yeah. Right, that you're developing, who's also just talented enough to where you could say, all right, you're very young and inexperienced, but at least you're talented to where we can put you in these spots and you have a better shot at making plays. Right. And, and so that's the, that like, you know, you have to sign Josh Norman and Drake Kirkpatrick. Like that's your contingency plan for Jason Verrett, potentially suffering another injury, which, you know, like, <laughs> I don't need to dive into the, the, the injury history of Jason Verrett and just the, the risk that having him as your number one cornerback represents, right? Correct. So, yeah, we, we've harped on the cornerback situation a lot. I don't want to continue doing it, but, the, I mean, this is the reason why. I want to like, continue think, it for one more second. Yeah, I, think, I just think it's such – that they knew who's, who, which receivers are in their division, right? They know. And, and you would hope. <laughs> and they know if they're if they were to get to the Super Bowl, they're gonna have to go through Green Bay and Devontae Adams and Chris Godwin and all those other guys in, in Tampa Bay and Tyler Lock and DK Metcalf in Seattle and DeAndre Hopkins in Arizona and Cooper Cup in LA. You're like, not even in the AFC yet. Right. Right. But just just the NFC, yeah. there's so many good receiving cores out there. Like I get Jason Verrett played at a high level and he's good when he's healthy, but like come on. Yeah, to to you can't rely on Jason. You can't have you can't go into a season with Jason Red as your number one guy without any any secondary plan. Right. And that's that's the problem. Is it's not like Jason Verrett might have been great this year. He was a Pro Bowl caliber player in 13 games last year. But like you said, there that injury history is still very much there, despite the fact he played a career high in snaps last year. And it was just it was a a baffling oversight like i understand they don't want to invest a ton of resources in at at cornerback but you got to do something yeah are you surprised that 
they didn't make a play for CJ Henderson, who was traded from the Jaguars to the Panthers for tight end Dan Arnold. I like the number two tight end for the for the Panthers. Um and a third round pick. Is that something that you would have done if you were San Francisco? I, I definitely that that's the type of trade I think they need to make. And Henderson makes a lot of sense because or he would have made a lot of sense because of just the talent. Like he was a first round pick in 2020, right? Like mm-hmm. you, if he, he's a very talented guy and I, you know, there might be questions about his fit in the locker room or whatever, but I think you're desperate enough to where if you can get a guy who is a first round pick and hasn't completely just fallen off a cliff in terms of productivity, like that might be worth a flyer and maybe they have their eyes on somebody else. But I think, I think it's pretty clear that around the trade deadline, they need to make a deal for a corner that they feel comfortable starting. And I don't think, you know, I, I think people, there's going to be a lot of discussion about Richard Sherman. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, like I like Richard a lot personally, that's my guy and he's a hall of famer and arguably the best cornerback of our generation and all that. Mm-hmm. But like 20, like, a 33 year old coming off, you know, calf and Achilles stuff. He missed like 11 that. games last year. And jo- and yeah. And Josh Norman is now coming back from a punctured one or a collapse. Which is insane, by the way, <laughs> like take a day, take some days off my guy. Yeah. Like he has bruised lungs with fluid in his lungs. He was coughing up blood. He spends the night in the hospital. He's like, be at practice on Wednesday. <laughs> Dude, I stub my toe and I'm checking how much sick time I have. Yeah. Football players are different humans. They are different humans. But but the point is like Sorry, as go ahead. <laughs> as much as Richard Sherman could potentially help the 49ers if everything were to go perfectly, there's also a chance if you bring Richard Sherman in it doesn't go perfectly. And then yeah. you have not solved your issue. Yeah. Right? Like your depth issues at cornerback and injuries and all that aren't solved yeah. necessarily. I'm very interested to see and last thing and then and then we'll hit a quick break but well two more things. I want to talk about clock management too, but I'm really interested to see whether they do make a trade this year because they don't have a first round pick as we know. They traded their third round comp pick. So they're going into the draft with a second round pick and a third round pick. And they will probably have to unload at least one of those if they're going to make an in-season move for an impact player in the secondary, like a good, not, not just some random guy. That's like, Oh yeah, he gets some snap, like a good player in the secondary. It's the Emmanuel Sanders equivalent at cornerback. There you go. Perfect. They're going to need to trade at least one of those picks, maybe both. Yeah. And I wonder, and I, I, I follow me here because I'm not a hundred percent sure I'm going to choose my words. Right. But, I almost wonder if they're just going to roll with it and try and piece together a secondary this year and hope they go 10 and seven and make the playoffs or in the playoff chase. And because looking at their schedule, like the Colts look way less daunting now. Mm-hmm. The The Bengals are, are okay, but that's a team they should beat. The Jags are super not good. Like they have the Texans who are, who are really bad. Like you look, you start to look down their schedule and you can start seeing where you can start seeing where even if they don't play great, they could, they could fall into 10 wins. Right. And I'm wondering conspiracy theory here. 
conspiracy theory Kyle here. Um, tinfoil hats on. If they're looking at this and going, all right, hey, this is the Chiefs Alex Smith here. You know, make the playoffs, lose in the playoffs, and then keep those draft picks to help restock the cupboard for 2022 and beyond. Because that's what quote unquote matters. And that's not to say they're not going to try and win the Super Bowl this year, but I think when they're projecting things four or five years out, if trading for Stefan Gilmore midseason is worth um is worth mortgaging all their effective like uh premium draft capital that they have next year. Right. That's that's a fair point. I think the counterpoint would be what mm, we're talking about. <laughs> I think the counterpoint would be what we're talking about in terms of their their draft picks now not hitting. Mm. And Kyle Shanahan or John Lynch or somebody might be like, well, why do we want to risk missing on more draft picks when we can get a known commodity? That's fair. And, you know, a player that we know has played in the league and can be good and can play at a certain level rather than taking a swing on young guys because apparently they don't like playing young guys right now. Well, it depends. That's sort of what that's what the Rams have done, right? And now the Rams are, I think, very comfortably at the top of the NFC in terms of the way we look at them. Yeah. So. Uh, I think think there's an element of that, that like, I think Shanahan is just really competitive. He's tired of, of not having seasons like 29, like tired of missing the playoffs. And I think he's going to get to, they're going to get to a point where it's like, all right, we need to pull a trigger and and get somebody in here. Um, And And I I think it depends too. Would have been that guy, but maybe there's a vet that springs loose. We'll see. I, I think it depends too a little bit on, you know, are they looking at Aaron Banks and watching film of him in practice and just going, God, this guy is not it. Or if they're going, okay, he's coming along. He just, you know, same thing with Ambry Thomas. Is it, hey, he didn't play in 2020 and he needs some time to knock the rust off. And then he needs to get his NFL legs under him. But next year, we're really excited about it. Like, I think that's going to play a role too. Yeah. Um, yeah looking there, there's at, an element looking of at that. the guys that aren't effective this year and projecting out. There's an element of that for sure. I, I think they might just be viewing this as a redshirt season for Thomas, which which is understandable, but it's also like, yeah. all right, well, this is a third-round pick. You know, Yeah, at a position that they needed help at right away. Yeah, and Aaron Banks is like, if you draft a guard in the second round, he he needs to start from right. the jump. Yes, yes. If you're drafting a guard that early and passing so, on other positions. Let's talk about clock management real quick. I yeah. have zero problems with the way the 49ers manage the clock. That's my take. They scored with 37 seconds left and the other team had no timeouts. And that's typically fine. Yeah. And, and one last thing. After watching the way the end of first half sequence went down, where they scored with two seconds and no time left because they put Trey Lance in and had to run a play they've never run before and got two good blocks to get him to the corner. After watching that and watching that offense struggle to move the football all night, I don't think that they can afford to get cute there. I think they just have to get the ball in. And I think that their offense was so frenetic all night, and Jimmy Garoppolo especially, that he's not sitting there getting set, taking a mental photo, and then looking up at the play clock going, all right, hang on, settle it down. We're going to take this down to three. Right. I think he's just trying to get the snap off and successfully run the play because that was such a hard thing to do consistently all night. And they had finally gotten in a rhythm where it was like, okay, they're going to score here. And it was with 37 seconds left. 
Yeah. Like I think nitpicking at that point is, is kind of a lot. It's really hard to score touchdowns. Great point. Like it's really hard to score touchdowns. It's even harder to score touchdowns and time it exactly the way you want to. Yeah. Right. So I'm with you in that. I think the, the focus is just getting in the end zone and the clock stuff is, is very secondary because if you do get too cute and say Kyle use just decides to, to dive and then you use a timeout and then you start running the ball. It's like, all right, all of a sudden it's fourth down and four and you don't know if you're going to score. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then like you were think you were assuming you're going to score, but now you're not even getting in the end zone and the Packers are winning that way. That yeah. to me is a far more disappointing way to lose than the way the 49ers lost it. And it still took, and here's my thing. Like I said, at the top of the podcast, there's what three quarterbacks that, that, get their team in field goal range there. Yeah. Like not, not many guys. It took a great throw that you talked about earlier from, from Rogers to Devonte Adams for, for 25 yards on the first play. It took a really, really nice throw and it still set up a 51 yard field goal. Right. I mean, it wasn't like they got down to the 20 and you know, it was this, it, it just, I don't know. You, you have to punch the ball in there yeah. and yeah. The other thing, Dan Dibley, the one of the hosts I produced at 95-7 the game in San Francisco, brought this up too. And I hadn't even thought about this. By kicking the ball out of the end zone for a touchback, they didn't run any time off on the kickoff. Yeah. That would have been a great time to just airmail a kickoff and make them. I mean, you run the risk of them returning it, but make them run some clock on the kickoff. And you can also, like, after you tackle a guy, you can lay on him and not let him get up and get the ball to the official and get the ball spotted yeah. super fast. Like, it felt things... like none of that happened on the last completion to Adams. Yeah. There like, was no could... skullduggery. Yeah. No, you there's there's a game gamesmanship element to that where you can try to slow them down in between plays. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, in an ideal world, you would love to just score as the clock hit zero and then you know, win the game on the extra point and not even let Rodgers get on the field. But like, how often do you even see that from the best offenses in the league? Yeah. Like you never see a team score. Everybody talks about it. Like, Oh, they left them too much time. What idiots. But it's like, it's really hard to time when you score. If the defense isn't letting you score, which does happen sometimes, but it wasn't going to happen in this case. And can you imagine if, okay, let's say on the, they're at the 12 yard line clocks ticking down. Garoppolo looks up and says, Oh, there's 12 seconds on the play clock. Hold on. Snaps it with two. They pick up a couple yards, call a timeout and then don't score. We're sitting there wondering what they were doing, wasting so much time. Yeah. You know, it just, yeah. it's such a, it's, it's one of those things like we talked about at the top of the podcast. It's a thing to pick out that like, could they have done it differently slash better? I guess, yeah, they could have scored with zero time left, but this offense is not good enough to get cute in that spot. Especially if you're not running the ball well. Especially if you're not running the ball well. That's just, that's where it's at. And to that end, Kyle Juszczyk made a hell of a play to get in the end zone. Great play. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like he was wide open in the middle of the end zone and caught it. Like he had to run through a couple guys to get there. Yeah. Um, it just, I don't know. They scored with 37 seconds left and the Packers had no timeouts. Yeah. That's a win against like 29 other teams. 
Yeah, like Pat Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers. Is there any other quarterback? Like, would you say Justin Herbert, Josh Allen? Maybe. Maybe. But those are maybes, right? Is there a ghost in your room right now? What's happening? Dude, did you see that? I did see that. What was that? What the fuck? <laughs> Dude. There was just like a string or something that just like floated right behind Kyle's head and through through his no that was that was in front of me (laughs) but i didn't see it dude (laughs) somebody die in your room i hated that (laughs) um i'm freaking out right now dude (laughs) well i think I mean, the broader point and like, I, you know, I think people are going to listen to this and be like, wow, I can't believe how out on the 49ers they are. Like it's, there's also an element of randomness in the NFL that like, if those two teams as, uh, as made up as they are, or like as composed Mm -hmm. as they are, if those two teams play 10 games, maybe the 49ers win six of them. Yeah. I'm not, that's, that's, it's not, we're not selling the idea of the 49ers as like powers in the NFC entirely because there is that randomness and there is there there are things that could have swung the game the other way that would completely change the conversation. Like, yeah. I think the 49ers are still a good team and, and should go to the playoffs. They, um, they, they went but, into that game for me in the tier below Super Bowl contender. Sure. Like they were in that just on the bubble and they need a couple of things to go their way to get there. And they they're still in there for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm this this week's game against Seattle is really going to be interesting. Yeah, because Seattle's coming off two straight losses. They did not look good against uh, Minnesota. Um, the 49ers are going to be pissed. Kyle Shanahan's not a happy camper right now. Um, and man, the uh, the handshake between him and Matt Lafleur at midfield after the game was like South Pole icy. <laughs> <laughs> and you know there's there's a little bit of talk i know mike silver tweeted um tweeted his thread about there being um sort of a strained relationship between those guys and those you know they've coached together for a while at various stops and according to silver the the lafleurs including mike who is the jets offensive coordinator who was on the 49ers staff for the last four years um they're a little bit upset with kyle shanahan about even broaching the idea of trading for aaron Rodgers, and there's rumblings of um the Packers feeling like the 49ers might have tampered with Rodgers in in expressing their potential interest in trading for him before the draft when Rodgers mm-hmm. was was making it clear he wanted out of Green Bay um I don't think ultimately it's a super important thing that that Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur are like close friends but I it it was an interesting layer to the game that you know, like if we spin it forward, I don't think they're going to be big ramifications, but it's just like from a from a storyline and drama perspective, it's a little bit interesting that two guys that like coach together for as long as they did and run the same offense now suddenly are no longer friends because Kyle Shanahan might have subverted him and tried to get, you know, prior Aaron Rodgers away when he was tough, still still property of the Packers. Tough scene. Yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break. 49ers football is finally back. Not just on the road, they had a home game, 
electric atmosphere is unbelievable. Well, there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find 49ers tickets anymore, y'all. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site. And the only one you'll ever need is your go-to for all NFL tickets. See, what TickPick did is they got rid of all those like service fees and all that stuff that you buy your ticket for X price, and then you see it's twice that when you go to check out. They got rid of all those fees. It allows them to guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. And if you don't believe me, you can fi- if you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. So the 49ers had their home opener against Green Bay on Sunday Night Football. It was incredible. Loved the atmosphere. The atmosphere might be even better in week four when they host the Seattle Seahawks at Levi Stadium. You need to be there, and TickPick has you covered. Can't wait to be out at that Seahawks game. We had some people, uh, Chris, on Twitter that hit us up and said they used TickPick to get out to the the Niners-Packers game. There's some people that are going to games on the road. TickPick works and it's the cheapest way to get your NFL tickets. Visit TickPick.com slash Candlestick today and use the promo code Candlestick to save $10 on your first order of 49ers tickets. Can I name drop a, a, a prominent Bay Area media member who hit me up asking for uh, for a plug on tickets and I sent him TickPick? Please. Marcus Thompson. MT, my guy. MT, yeah, he uh, he used it. He was thrilled. He came up and thanked me in the press box yesterday. He was like, "Dude, that was that was clutch." So yeah, awesome. if, it, if it works for Marcus, it'll work. It'll work for you for sure. And Marcus Thompson is not the kind of guy that, like, if it didn't work, he wouldn't come up and just BS Chris. He would just ignore him. Yeah. So or he would be like, you know. "What the hell, dude?" <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's okay. There you go. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> Tick pick. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. So we had our draft. We'll finish up with this. Yeah. Each week before the game, we draft three players each that we think are going to play really well for the 49ers. And we'll just run down these real quick. Chris, your first pick this week was Nick Bosa. He was excellent on the first drive. Boy. Um, he like he deflected a pass. He drew a face mask penalty. He had a tackle for loss, I think, and it sort of forced the, the Packers to settle for a field goal. But man, after that, it was a lot of chipping, you know, using uh tight ends and receivers to to block him along with their third string left tackle who they're trying out. I'm not even gonna try to pronounce his name because I don't know how to do it, but um, yeah, the, I think really one of the standout things for me from the Packers perspective was just how well they schemed around the pass rush of the 49ers. Yep. Right. And just getting rid of the ball quickly by Aaron Rodgers. That was, that was kind of a masterclass in it. And I think a lot of that has to do with the secondary and their ability to find space on the field, find the right matchups figure out the best route combinations against the right coverages. And that was, that's a credit to the Packers. So I think Bosa, I don't think he like played poorly or anything. I just think the Packers had a really good plan um, in terms of how, yeah. how, how to negate what he's good at. If you watch him on any individual play, it's incredible. It's so rare that he just straight up gets beat, but you're right. The Packers were throwing the kitchen sink him to make sure that he wasn't the one that was going to beat them. Yeah. And um, yeah, from a statistical standpoint, it wasn't great, but I thought, I thought he had an effect. The other Niners defensive linemen just didn't, uh, didn't quite take advantage. Um, My first pick pick was George Kittle. Yep. Kittle played well, seven catches for 92 yards on 10 targets had the big 40-yarder that set them up for the go-ahead touchdown late. I don't know if I don't I don't buy the idea of like forcing the ball to a player. Mm-hmm. Especially if they're, you know, triple covered, if they're not open, you don't want to force it to them. But it does feel like they don't go to him enough in like key spots. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And maybe would... that's because coverages are are more geared toward him in those in those areas, but it just it feels like there should be like three plays a game just designed to get Kittle open and get him the ball. I completely agree. Um, what's interesting about George Kittle and what really makes him unique is there aren't many stars who are as versatile as he is. So like if you do run George Kittle out on routes, or you do split him out wide, you're losing something around the line of scrimmage in terms of blocking. Right. Right. So there's, there's a balance you have to find. It's not like George Kittle is just Travis Kelsey and, you know, Kelsey was much less value as a blocker where it's pretty straightforward how to utilize him. Kittle, the best way to utilize him is trying to find a balance between maximizing him as a blocker 
while also being able to get him open, right? So that's that's kind of, I mean, he's so good that it's like difficult to figure out exactly how to use him. Um, so I, I is think George Kittle too good at football? <laughs> it, it, yeah, that's a, a fair question. <laughs> but no, I mean, if if you know if Brandon Ayuk isn't isn't going to be a thousand yard receiver, um, you know, Debo Samuel looks like he he will get there. But like, I think in order to maximize George Kittle in terms of like that role where you're putting him, you're getting him the ball in key spots, you need your other guys to be threats, right? Yeah. Like you need, you need Brandon Ayuk to be really consistent. So teams don't just roll all their coverage to George Kittle. I think too, there's an element of this where Travis Kelsey is a surgeon when it comes to his route running. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because he kind of has to be because he's not as good as Kittle after the catch. He's not as good of a blocker as Kittle. So they can just put him in the slot and he is just going to route up, whether it's a defensive back or a linebacker or a safety, he's going to get open. That's not George Kittle's strength. For all the things he does well as a pass catcher, I don't think he's a guy that you can just line up on any defensive back and he's going to gain two or three yards of separation. That's yeah. just not his 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 strong point. He's also um, dealing with a calf injury at the moment. Right. And I just, that's, that's something that I think needs to get taken into account. Yeah. Good pick though. I mean, he was, he was good. He, he was, was really, good. really good. He made two and two nearly really had good the catches on that last drive. Yeah. Um, I couldn't tell, was he trying to stay in bounds uh, on the, I think it was a play before use check. It was down near the sideline. It looked like he fell out of bounds, but the clock continued to roll. Yeah, I think he did try to get out. Okay. And they just ran it. A lot of officiating issues last night. Not a well officiated game. It was just a horribly officiated game. I don't think it decided anything either way, but it was just from a watchability standpoint, it's really bad. It was consistently Uh, bad for both sides. I didn't want to talk about it because I know people like, well, they're bad passing interference. It was also like, all right, well, Jimmy Ward probably should have been flagged for almost. Yeah, like, and there, there just, there was a, there, yeah, no, it's bad, bad stuff both directions. What was your next pick? Uh, my next pick, God, I got to go back and look. Uh, I did Fred Warner, and Fred Warner was good for most of the game. Um, eight tackles. Um, he had the pass interference down the field. Uh, deep down the middle, I forget who was on. He barely missed Aaron Rodgers. It's Robert Tunyon. But I mean, I thought Fred Warner was fine. Fred Warner was not the reason the 49ers lost. No, and he just there are so many plays that could go for a lot more yards if Fred Warner wasn't cleaning it up, especially on plays to the outside where he might get caught up on a block early. He still gets out there to make a tackle. Even if it's four or five yards, he saves it from being 20 or 30. He's really he, yeah, he's an excellent, excellent football player. I feel like picking Fred Warner is cheating because he's just never gonna have a bad game. Like when was the last time you watched a game and you're like, man, Fred Warner sucked today? I don't know if that's ever happened. I've ne- I've personally never done it. Yeah. Anyways, D Ford is my next pick. That's a bad pick. D Ford, let me look. He did not show up on the stat sheet. I legitimately forgot he was on the field until some point late in the game when i noticed he was out there i blame the uh inverted socks look okay for his lack of production that's fair 
That's really, red, really fair. red on the bottom, white on the top. That's brutal. And it just, you know, I'm all for guys. You just have to be better than that. <laughs> I'm all for individuality and, you know, your own style and all that. But like, come on. Yeah. We know what looks good. He wasn't good. Bad pick. Rock the you said I should have taken Armstead who had a sack. You know. Mm. <laughs> Trent Williams is your next pick. Uh, yeah, Trent Williams is my next pick. He had the block on Trey Lance's um, touchdown run. Really good move by Trey Lance to give Trent Williams that spike. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And also, and also a good job by him. I don't want to take away from Trent Williams, but allowing Williams to get out there to make the block. Yeah. And just taking his time and letting that play develop. I think Trey Lance has a good way about him. Like in terms of like emotional intelligence and sure. being personal, personable and all those things. Like, I think he's, I think he's a, a high level individual. Sure. That's probably why they traded so many picks to draft him. Yeah. I think that was an example. My last uh, pick. You, you got a touchdown out of him. I did. Brandon Ayuk. He's back. He outsnapped <laughs> Trent Sherfield 60 to two. Brandon Ayuk is back folks. Four catches, 37 yards, a tug. Um, Shout out to Brandon Ayuk for uh, for coming through for me and getting getting a score. And uh, I think he had seven targets. He caught four of them. Six targets, caught four. Good game for him. He dropped. It, I, I think that was a drop on the – there was one in the end zone, like over the middle in the first half. Second like quarter. like high behind him. Yeah. Was it, I mean – I don't want to keep just bagging on Jimmy Garoppolo, but like a lot of his completions too were inaccurate. Like it wasn't and like took a, a monster catch from Debo on the one on the last draft. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of catch and running because the throws were accurate. It was a lot of like, oh, I got to dive and readjust. Yeah, and not get any yards after the catch because these throws weren't great. Not his best game, but Brandon Ayuk was really good. I think I won this week. Um. Hmm. Yeah, you got a touchdown and you got the leading receiver in Kittle. Fair. That's fair. I think you did. Hell yeah. But you don't get I, do you get negative points for D Ford? No. Okay. No, I just <laughs> I don't know. I just think my group is better. Come on. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, there's a lot riding on this, so we need to make sure we get it right. Yeah. All right. Let's uh let's wrap this up. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a couple of guests later in the week trying to nail down a time with Danny Kelly of The Ringer, a noted Seahawks supporter. I think he's going to join us for our preview pod. Still, like I said, still trying to work out a time with him. And then uh, my boss, Neil Coolong, is going to join us this week for our midweek pod. I'm excited to get Neil's thoughts on the 49ers and Trey Lance. Neil, an NDSU alum. Mm-hmm. Uh, along with Trey Lance, I'm excited to hear what he has to say about his fellow Bison. He was he was buying the Mac Jones stuff less than anybody, I think. Yes, I think that might have been his Trey Lance homerism, but yeah, shout out to him, big Trey Lance guy, and just a fun guy to talk to. I'm excited to have him on the podcast. I think for the first time. So Second look time. forward look forward to that conversation. Second time he did the old Rush Steelers game with us. Remember? Oh, that's right. I yeah. remember that. That was great. Uh, second time with Neil. So look forward to that conversation. Subscribe, rate, review if you haven't. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.